Hello. Before we get down to cinema, I would like to draw your attention to our Patreon. Regular listeners will know that these podcasts are supported by Quad, our home cinema in Derby, UK. But as Quad is a charity, we want to make Cinelet as self-sustainable as possible. So, to that end, we have set up a two-tier way in which you can support Cinelit. For our 35mm Cinefans, you'll get a bonus additional episode each month where we will be deep diving into an area of cinema that will be exclusive to Patreon subscribers for at least six months before it arrives like a late dinner guest on the regular feed. Plus, you get the episodes a week in advance of the main feed release. But if you want to support us and don't feel that pressing need to have the additional podcast each month, but still want that warm, satisfying feeling of being part of the Cinelit success story then you can become an 8mm Cinefan, where you can donate and get our heartfelt thanks. Head over to the Patreon page and subscribe if you can. However, we know that times are hard at the moment, so please do not feel you need to subscribe if you are not able. We'll still be putting out new, free-to-listen-to episodes on a regular basis throughout the year. Now let's get back to your regular scheduled broadcast. For the final podcast of the series, we talked to Sontanish Myers and Melanie Grant about their films Cross My Heart and The Book of Jasmine that featured in our Caribbean Calling Shorts programme, screened as part of this series at Quad. I talked to them about what creatively influenced them growing up, as well as the process of making their short film in the Caribbean. So enjoy! I'm doing a project called Reforming the Image. So basically, I'm just talking to filmmakers and looking at films that show what it's like to live in a certain country. And particularly, Cross My Heart is a good one for the sense of Jamaica. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> here in the UK, probably the last thing would probably be the 70s, like How Do They Come? is probably the last film that is actually filmed in Jamaica and that is widely shown in the UK. So I just want to talk about how you, you came about making the film. Well, one, I was kind of curious, have you seen Sprinter by Storm Salter? Yes, we showed Sprinter actually at my cinema. Okay, okay, cool. I was um, just curious. Yeah, so that was actually something else I wanted to touch upon because we didn't get many people come to to come to see it and it's more about getting the local uh, well, local community in the afro-caribbean community mm-hmm. to, be able to sort of rally behind these films because you know when it comes to funders and things like that you know you need to say well you know there is an audience out there and it's that was what I was going to touch upon later I think particularly in the UK um I think that because there is not enough, you know, content out there, uh, mm-hmm. very dependent on the African-American experience. And that's the only sort of content that we, we have in the UK. So, so mm-hmm. it's quite difficult as a programmer to get an audience to really, you know, more authentic representation, different types of black representation. Mm. Yeah, I mean... Cross my heart. I mean, I can talk about it kind of like like the idea genesis as well as just kind of like how it production-wise became possible. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my I'm Jamaican-American. My mom's American. My dad's from Jamaica, um, from St. Elizabeth. 
And a portion of my childhood is just in Jamaica. Like I, if I have a home there that I'm, whenever I'm not here, I'm there at my aunt's house. And that's actually where we ended up shooting the film. So I'm sure her regret. And it was, it was something that, you know, I had a very, this is a very fictionalized version of an experience that I had. And so it was, and the consequences and emotional consequences and the dilemmas that were coming up for me, it were all I could think about. And I had a film I had to make. And so I, I, I really had no choice but to make this film because I wasn't thinking about anything else. And so it wasn't something that I necessarily like actively was trying to do initially until, you know, I was confiding in people about my experience and every single person I spoke to across the diaspora, like, and just also just cross-culturally had a story like this. And so I just started feeling so surrounded in a way that was so cathartic in that, you know, the experience was shared, but it's also disturbing that Mm -hmm. the experience was shared. And I remember it was just kind of like, then I started thinking about making this film. And then I told one classmate, we were on set and I was like, yeah, I'm really thinking about making a film about this. And then she told me something that happened to her. And I was just like, and that was just kind of like the nail in the coffin. Mm -hmm. And I called my auntie up like that day and was just like, auntie, the film at your house next summer. She was like, she was like, yeah, man, just come. And so that was kind of like the emotional genesis, but you know, I really didn't make this, this film (laughs) this film is a result of the hard work and generosity of so many people and of the Jamaican um, film community there, which is by some people's perception, perhaps small, but it's so, um, so full of talent and heart and passion for this work. And so I had a mentor who a couple years prior introduced me to a producer out there, Maxine Walters, and she really um, supported me in making this film, introduced me to a casting director who helped me find all local cast except for the lead who is American. So I wanted to bring an American over, which actually turns out she's a, she's Jamaican American, which I didn't know prior to casting her. And she'd never been to Jamaica. And she got to meet some family for the first time, like at the airport, like when I came to pick her up, she had an uncle come and meet her and they'd never met before. So it was kind of like cosmic in that way. I might be rambling now, but essentially, but essentially it's really because of me. And I had an incredible producer who also went to NYU, Elizabeth Charles, her family's from Cayman and Jamaica. And she was incredible and couldn't have made the film without her. Phase three, which is a production, a rental house in Jamaica, the CEO like went to NYU at some point, Delano. And so like he was able, you know, he just really understood what I was trying to do and was really generous and helping me get the equipment that I needed at a reasonable price. And so all these different things come together, came together, but it was all about community and just people being down and supporting the script. And so, yeah. 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 And what's the sort of the the industry like in Jamaica? Is there a, obviously they're, they're restricted with their resources, but, you know, is there an emerging sort of filmmakers and talent sort of? Oh, man, I, I, I will speak to that to the degree that I feel like I can, because ultimately I am based in the States. But, you know, obviously commercials are like what a lot of the production does. I mean, I think I was I screened at Porty Film Festival. I think it was last year, but you know, time is such a construct right now. And I remember a part of like the James Bond movie had just shot in Port Antonio 
And so like, so sometimes like portions of large productions will come here because, you know, like we, Jamaica has such a beautiful um, landscape, but there are so many talented writers and filmmakers. There's two filmmakers I know who are developing this dope story, Last Man's Peak, which is like this really great kids book. It's kind of like if like Goonies was like set in Jamaica, like that's like this Escape to Last Man's Peak. Like that's like this book that they're developing. Um, Kurt Wright, who was also my AD, he's also a writer and director. And it's just kind of like, he's working on this series called Origins, where it's like this episodic series rooted in a lot of Caribbean folklore. And he's bringing it together in this very like epic and almost Marvel type way. And he's very talented and like loves film, like just loves film. And and so there's so many talented voices and so many people working on things. They're everywhere. And I just really feel like the Caribbean is so generally untapped, but it's about, things are about to pop off for sure. And do you find it majority they have to go to America in order to get all, or as much as um, you can say really, you know? Right, as much as I can say. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's kind of a question for anywhere, right? Like how much is America in general, like center to the industry, I guess? It shouldn't be that way. But yeah, I do think that having like relationships in like Western, like Western countries in the industry, like it helps, but they're making it with or without you. I mean, like I see, oh man, there's this DP, I'm forgetting her last name right now, but her first name is Gabrielle. And she makes like, she makes dope work. Like I follow her on Instagram. I don't know her personally, but like she makes like amazing things all the time. She made a really great short and I think she's writing a feature right now. You know, they get invited to like Berlin, like for the, and like Rotterdam and all these things. So there's a lot of really great things like being made all the time. And and there's also, a, I'm very grateful that there's a, a very strong support of Caribbean storytelling in, at least I can say New York specifically. Like there's like a, a Caribbean like festival um, in that BAM, which is a Brooklyn, it's a Brooklyn-based, like, really big community in, in New York. Like, they have, like, a Caribbean cinema fest every year. There's also Third Horizon, which is another amazing Caribbean film festival in Florida. So, you know, and so I think, like, I, I think the key to... I think one of the keys to the elevation of Caribbean cinema is like just diaspora, like connection amongst the diaspora, like these types of conversations, like Third Horizon in Miami, not just curating work that's made here, Caribbean work that's made here, but Caribbean work that's made in the Caribbean, which I know that they do and they curate so intentionally. And, but, you know, I've met people in Jamaica who don't know about Third Horizon. And so I think it's really just about us coming together and speaking to each other and like really trying to put each other on and rooting for each other and talking about each other, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's the same as well in the UK in a sense of, you know, a lot of talent having to go to America. And then I've kind of um, seen this shift with Steve McQueen. I don't know if his miniseries, Small Acts, has been shown in America or not. But yeah, it's, um, it's on Amazon. People are watching it here. Yeah, yeah. Which is quite, is quite, is quite refreshing in the UK in order to sort of have the, you know, black, black British stories told, but particularly around, you know, the, the, the Caribbean diaspora. And so, yeah, and it was quite interesting. I've talked a lot of the time about Steve McQueen and the fact that a lot of his films are on other subjects and things. And, and it was quite, <laughs> and then the next project that I found out he was doing was Small Acts, which is very close to home. I think it was, it, it's quite important in showing that 
that we're going to try and make more projects in the UK and is supported by the BBC and things like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, that's what I think it is. Like, I think actors might be the only exception where like maybe they could, they could consider spending some time in the States, but I I can't, that whole actor game is like, I I can't speak that much to that. But, but I think filmmaker wise, like, I just feel like they should just like, actually, I don't even want like Caribbean filmmaking to get too infected by like the Western, like perception of what's good. I want just Caribbean stories being told like it, like with Caribbean psychology. And then they can just have relationships like with folks like me. And I'll just be like, cool, let me send that film to that programmer and see like if they would program it. And then like once like, cause once you get into like one or two like medium top tier festivals, like it goes, it, it, it the rest takes care of itself. And so it's just kind of like, the relationships are, I think, what's going to, is all we all need. But I don't know how much they, I, I never want to suggest that they need America by any, by any yeah, yeah. sense. Yeah. And what was the reception like in Jamaica and then internationally? Yeah. So unfortunately, I mean, I ended up like Jamaica was like one of the, the last places that I, I screened. I kept like on missing one deadline. And but it, it was also kind of nice because the last screening that I had, an in-person screening that I had for Cross My Heart was at Porti Film Festival in Port Antonio, which is like one of my favorite places in Jamaica. But it actually world premiered in East End Film Festival, which is in the oh. UK. Oh yeah. And Jonathan Ali, who he's programmed a lot of places, but he's he was like kind of really championed that film. And East End was my first acceptance. And at the time I was like, I thought I had gotten so many rejections. I was just like, I don't think this film is going to get anywhere else. And so I scraped up the money to like go and attend the festival because I was like, I'm not going to, this film isn't going to go anywhere else. And then a couple months later, like I was proven very wrong and it ended up making its North American premiere at Seattle. And then it went to Palm Springs and those were like life altering experiences, like so many valuable friendships I got out of that. And then, but you know, I didn't feel good about the fact that it hadn't screened in Jamaica yet. And I was on, and it was also supposed to, it did screen in Trinidad, but I wasn't able to attend because it conflicted with another festival in the States. And it was cheaper for me to, to go to the one in the States at the time. But I was, that, I was really wrecked about that. But it felt really good to bring it home at the end of its run. And, you know, my aunt and uncle were there and, you know, all the, you know, any of the Jamaican cast that could attend, did attend some of the crew and, um, that felt, that felt really good. Mm. But I, I think the reception, it's interesting. The reception, I mean, in, in the States, I mean, every single screening, there would be a line of people who would end up telling me about things like sexual assault that happened to them and their family. So it's, it was something that became just very normal at the end Mm. of, of the screenings. I kind of wish that I was asked more, I, because I know like what the, what the stats are in Jamaica specifically about like, just, and like the culture of, of silence and what it looks like in Jamaica specifically. I wish I had been asked more, um, in depth questions about that. Or I wish it kind of catalyzed a conversation. But I think that there's honestly more, I think that might be on me to like engage with the community more to have those type of uncomfortable conversations that I feel like might be um, 
necessary to have in Jamaica because it's happening. It's happening everywhere, but it is happening in Jamaica. But, you know, I think that was some, that was the one thing that was common, no matter where I screened, was that there would be people with their own personal stories afterward. And, and I just always felt privileged that they would feel comfortable and safe sharing it with me. And it was people from all types of ages, gender, mm. you know, so I just felt privileged that the film did something enough for them to feel brave enough to share it with me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? It's hard to assess because of the subject matter, you know, some people may not feel comfortable coming forward or, you know, so discussing the film. So, yeah. Which makes me wonder how many people it happened to and, you know, did it. But it, it, it was never my intention to make like, like sometimes I don't even like mentioning in interviews that it's about sexual assault because I feel like people or deals with sexual assault because I feel like people will decide that like, we're going to see it and it's going to be like an uncomfortable, but it's really at its core about these two cousins, these two girls who just really love each other and how life throws this obstacle in between them. And it's like, how do you, sh- how do you respect somebody's boundaries, but you still want to show up for them and, mm. and be their champion. And it's really about their relationship ultimately. And, and it's really just this thing that happened that, that challenges that relationship, but you don't see it. I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in them. Mm. And I found often, there was also a lot of like gender. (laughs) There are like a lot of like polarizing gender things too. Often I would have men critique the film and, and they would say, there's a moment where, you know, the secret is exchanged in the bathroom and then they burst out into laughter. And almost most, almost it all, all the people who had this criticism were men. They would say, I don't think that's natural. I feel like they would be crying or something. Like, why aren't they crying instead? And every woman would come up to me and be like, oh my God, that's like such teenage girl. Like, that's totally uh, what happened. And so I feel like those type of like polarizing responses are were always interesting and telling. So are you, what's next? Are you, are you looking to make a feature my here? Yeah, I'm in development for one as we speak. This one is set in the, it's the story, the world is set in the States. It's a period in science fiction. It's set on a plantation in the early 1800s where an enslaved girl named Nina has telekinetic powers that she cannot yet control. And circumstances escalate when she's separated from her mother to be a house girl in close quarters with the master's wife, Elizabeth. And so it's, it's this story that's pretty much asking the question at its core, it's asking the question, what happens when the most powerless person in the system has an extraordinary ability? What does it look like when she shies away from it? What does it look like when she's wrestling with it? And what happens when she finally embraces I feel like I'm just going to be kind of going back and forth. I'm going to be like doing a Jamaican film and like doing an American film and then doing a Jamaican film and doing an American film. Well, I suppose that, that that's uh, accurate of you, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the Jamaican side, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that that sounds good yeah keep us updated and so did you spend any of your childhood in Jamaica or did you grow up in in America it was pretty much the setup where my dad sent me to Jamaica every summer so I didn't do any like stare I did some like summer schooling there sometimes but it was pretty much summers but you know when it's every summer it does feel like a very large chunk of your childhood you know yeah um, and I mean I, and now I like to spend like at least a quarter of my, of my year there. It's just a little bit hard right now. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah 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 because what I was going to lead to say sort of you know growing up what what were you drawn to sort of you know representation wise or just inspiration in order to you know make in film to make filmmaking you mean are you asking what what did I take out of my my time in Jamaica that you felt like informed my filmmaking yes yeah yeah and but also as well growing up sort of in America what what sort of things films and tv were you sort of attracted to that you know you felt like you could identify with more I was talking with Ian who made doubles with slight pepper and we were talking about it was kind of funny how he grew up in Canada you know me, me in the UK and the sense of like he used to watch a show called Desmond's which is like a really old show in the UK but it's actually uh-huh. kind of a long-standing joke that that literally is the last represent authentic representation of the Caribbean diaspora. You know, the, the whole barbershop scene and, you know, there was the characters were people that you could identify in your own life. And that was really the, on, the only thing that you were sort of drawn to. And me growing up, my mother's English and my father's Jamaican. And I always was struggling to find sort of something that I could identify with. and. Yeah, and I can think of, you know, inspirations such as Spike Lee and other filmmakers, you know, in sense of the black experience. But I never, ever had sort of the black British experience, which Mm -hmm. is great, which I think is changing now with, you know, Steve McQueen and other filmmakers that are trying to... Michaela Cole. Michaela Cole, yes, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, so I think, you know, it's definitely changing, definitely shifting now. But yeah, in the 90s, it was very sort of the African-American, you know, experience that I I, I didn't identify growing up in the UK. Mm -hmm. I feel like part of being blank American in the United States is that you're constantly experiencing like this kind of tug of war. Like you're not quite American enough, but you're not quite Jamaican enough when you're in Jamaica. And so it's kind of like, I mean, I think I I grew up honestly consuming mostly uh, American things. So I feel like I, I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm like kind of like decolonizing my taste and my brain, like over time as I get older and I'm reprioritizing African storytelling and Caribbean storytelling and, and what that, what that means and looks like, looks like in the aesthetic. I feel like I'm prioritizing that now because I grew up on like Spielberg movies and, you know, and so I feel like that has like those types of things have like influenced my taste. And my dad watched a lot of like Tom Cruise movies. Like that's like kind of like what I grew up like watching. I, and I, and I honestly read more than I watched growing up. I didn't like always know I was going to be a filmmaker. I was a bookworm. And so I just read a lot of things, but I feel like only now am I getting to like read. Oh, I'm finding so much joy in like reading books by Caribbean authors, especially Caribbean women, Um, like Nicole Dennis-Benz books, Patsy, I'm about to pick up, and Here Comes the Sun, I had read previously, How to Love a Jamaican, which is a beautiful anthology of short stories, and and each story is a perspective of like a particular Jamaican or Jamaican-American, and just like, you just get pulled into like their life and immersed in their life and their feelings in such a brief period. And then you move on to the next one. It's really great. So I feel like I'm, I'm actually coming into myself in that way and like enjoying like 
the type of Caribbean stories and, and films now and coming into appreciation. So I'm having a very backwards experience, if that makes sense, but I, I'm in appreciation of it as well. Yeah. That's great. Well, I wish you all the luck with your next project and keep in touch. Thank I, you. I think that we would definitely like to, to see more of. And uh, yeah, thank you for talking to me, Santanish. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. So yeah, I just wanted to sort of chat with you really because Caribbean Calling, which was a selection of short films, was shown at our uh, film festival. And yeah, I just wanted to talk about the book of Jasmine and also how it fits with, we're doing a season of looking at sort of different perspectives of, of you know, the, the minority community and sort of here in England, we don't really have an opportunity to see authentic sort of what it's actually like to live in the Caribbean and the region. Yeah, so it's basically just sort of a chat really about authentic representation and, and, and things like that and what the industry is like in the, in the Caribbean. So how did you um, come about making the film? So it was actually my thesis film for my undergrad. Okay. So... I was looking at sort of this intersection between spirituality and sexuality. And that has always been something that I've been interested in. I I guess speaking personally, like I developed my queer identity before my spiritual identity. And there was always a conflict at certain points. And I know a lot of people in the community in the Caribbean do struggle with that conflict because it's a heavily Christian society, heavily religious society. A lot of our laws are still based in Christianity. So I wanted to look at that intersection, but look at the group of people who, you know, usually people would say, okay, let me express my queer identity and reject religion, or I'm going to stay in the church and suppress this side of me. I wanted to look at people who didn't feel that they had to do either, you know, who wanted, who could still be in the church or be spiritual or be religious and still be openly queer and proud of that. So that was really what my research was about. And then I set it against a backdrop of sort of an indigenous Caribbean spirituality, which is spiritual baptism, which is unique to the Caribbean, mainly the islands of Barbados, um, Trinidad, and St. Vincent. And at first I set it against that because visually I thought it would be beautiful. (laughs) So mainly for aesthetic reasons, you know, you, you talk about that authentic experience. And I think for me, research is so important when it comes to representation. So I, I went to church. It, it's not my personal church. So I started doing research, looking at rituals, doing a lot of reading. Every Sunday, I'd be in church for like nine hours, just looking, observing, learning. And then I wrote the script after that. So dreams are so central to the faith. So I decided that I was going to do it around this dream ritual. And you know, in the dreams, dreams are sort of the access to the spiritual realm and spiritual baptism. So I, I figured if if she finds acceptance through that and through the spiritual realm and through having this dream of herself with the woman, seeing it as the acceptance from higher powers, then maybe she might be able to come to accept herself as this queer spiritual woman. Mm-hmm. So 
I, I, that's what I hoped would come across in the film. So that's, yeah, a bit of background of how the Book of Jasmine came to be. (laughs) (laughs) And what was the reception like, you know, when you released the film at home and then internationally? I think at home, it, it, it sort of shocked a few people because one, a lot of people, even though it's unique, to the Caribbean, a faith that's unique to the Caribbean, they don't really know about it. There's a lot of stigma around the practice and there's also a lot of stigma around sexuality. So I just, putting two of those in the film at once, I think people were kind of hesitant, like, I don't know how to process this. I don't know how to read this. But people appreciated it as a piece of cinema. But I think in, in terms of encouraging a further dialogue, it has shown at like, Caribbean LGBT film festivals, like Pride festivals in the region. And that would have encouraged a bit of discussion on like queer identity in the Caribbean spirituality and sexuality. So in within the community, there has been a lot of discussion. And internationally, it, it's re, it's been screened at a few places. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to travel with it, but I partner with Third Horizon and they're based in Miami. So it's Caribbean people who've created this group in Miami and they really took the film under their wing and pushed it. So that's how it's been able to go around around the world. But like I said, I haven't been able to travel with it. So I don't know what audiences are saying, but most people comment on the cinematography first more than actual the subject matter, even though I was hoping it. but yeah 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 exactly because that was one thing that came across with me like I'd never heard of like the spiritual baptism and my my parents are from Jamaica and I'd never ever heard of it so yeah that was one thing that came across and then yeah obviously here in England it's not really we we don't know much about what the LGBT community is like in the in the Caribbean. So yeah, yeah. So that definitely came across. But yeah, <laughs> but you said that the is the film part of a trilogy. Um, an unfinished trilogy. So the the first part was Pieta, and that did look at um spirituality and sexuality, and this was the second part and. There was supposed to be a third part, but I just haven't gone around to there yet. Uh, Um, But I kind of feel like to complete it, I do want to do a third, a third piece along the same theme. And then I will, I feel like I would be finished. Is that because of a funding thing or, you know, or just practicalities of things just organizing funding yes it's so difficult for caribbean filmmakers to find funding so book of jasmine was actually crowdfunded and it did relatively well i met my my target so that i was able to you know do a bit more than i was able to with the first film in the trilogy which was done for for nothing so grateful to everybody who just gave up their time but I think it would be best to to go into the third one with some proper funding. Mm -hmm. And I guess 
Story-wise, I was, I did my master's. So that was my focus for the last year. And then I was making a film for my master's and that was, I was doing visual anthropology. So it had to be a, a documentary style. So that was, took me on a different path and a different journey. So I, I haven't had the time yet to, to Yeah, And is, what is the state like in, in the Caribbean for like funding? Is it getting better? You know, filmmakers able to make more films there or do they feel like they have to go you know elsewhere like america and places like that funding is really hard to come by a lot of people that i know that have made films have made it through um crowdfunding and there have been some government initiatives that give money to artists like i know in trinidad i have a friend there who has made a film through that but government funding is not something that you come by often and I guess going through private sector routes like I feel like people will have to feel like they're getting something back from it and because Caribbean cinema is really I can't say now developing because there there is a history but really becoming recognized internationally i guess funders might be hesitant because it's like well where's your film gonna go who's gonna see it are you gonna make returns on it and a lot of people that i know they have been passion projects and they haven't really been able to turn it into something that generates money or turn it into a fully fledged industry jamaica is probably doing the best and then after that trinidad but it's you would get a feature here and there and a lot of short films, people experimenting in their time, just like I said, doing these passion projects. But in terms of something that really does make the filmmaker money, those are, those are few and far between. So. Cause I'm um, here in the UK, we have like the British film Institute, which they do sort of do help out filmmakers and, and make films. But yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is difficult. What What's the cinema like like in the Caribbean? Is it Is it mostly American films, or you know, with the cinema? You know, what kind of films are? Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> Hollywood. That's yeah. That's it. And again, it's about making money. If they don't think that they can get the sales, they're not going to screen it. And we've had a. I, I wouldn't want to say a problem, but because it's so conservative there have actually been certain films that have been banned so i think they banned black swan in barbados when it first came out because of the the lgbt themes you're not gonna get any lgbt content being shown in the cinemas even if it's coming from hollywood i'm trying to remember if they screened brokeback mountain i think that maybe maybe that slipped through i i, I can't remember but it's it's very conservative and like Hollywood blockbusters. You don't really get independent films being shown. Yeah, so that that's really what the cinema is like, just blockbusters. Yeah, because I was talking to Ian who made um, Doubles with Slight Pepper and he, he was saying about in Trinidad, you know, and we were talking about getting audiences, you know, really need to rally behind independent film and independent cinema in order mm-hmm. to show, listen, look, there is an audience for this content, you know, and that's particularly, I would say, 
in in England. That's something that we try to get that, that there is an audience, and we, you know, but it's difficult to try and persuade, you know, funds yeah. in the same way because everything that the only representation you get here is it's very African American, and you know, and yeah. it's only one one point of view. So yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so what's um your plans? What's your next steps, you know? Speaking about funding, I actually did get a little bit of funding to make my next. This is not going to be part 3. It's a it's a kind of a different film. Still on the same theme of spirituality, but it's a short film and I got some funding through Commonwealth Writers. Okay. And they is it's basically an initiative that helps Caribbean filmmakers in the from various like Belize, Saint Vincent, Jamaica, and we get we go through workshops and then we make our film afterwards and then they help promote it. So I'm looking forward to that and I'm excited to just create again because the last time I made a film was last year, last summer. And that was a documentary, so that was a different experience. But going into making a fiction film again, I'm I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you finished university now? Then. Yeah, yeah. I I came back last year. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I was actually studying in Manchester. So that. Was... Oh, okay, Manchester, England. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. So I was sort of trying to give you a background, but you'll know everything then. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Like it was great being in Manchester because like you get the independent center. Like I could go to home and just yeah. sit in there and watch independent films for for hours. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was- yeah. So growing up, sort of, what sort of representation was on TV and and things? You know. Like, I know I lean towards a lot of American content. Same. I guess on TV, it was very, yeah, very American. I guess getting older and really getting into cinema, I would go searching. I I love British cinema. So I, I used to watch a lot of that. But I remember the experience of trying to find, like, just any sort of, LGBT content and that maybe 15 years ago like that that was so hard to find and then that's when I just figured okay I could make my own content because I wasn't finding it but I guess growing up I really started like in my teen years really trying to search for films that I felt that I connected to because what was being shown on TV and what I can go down to the movie store and pick up, like it just, I wasn't connecting to it. So yeah. And like I said before, like it, it's just very conservative. So very limited content that you would find in like your local movie store. Back then it was tape. So yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. What what was the films that you would say did influence you or you did, you know, was able to see? What films? I can't recall exactly right now. Like, yeah. there There's a lot of, like, 
international queer content like Kiss Me was one I can't I think that comes out of the Netherlands and that was that was really good I think in like European cinema when it came to like when I was searching for queer content there was a lot coming out of like France Netherlands and when you were here in Manchester was you able to see more LGBT content and you know make connections there or yeah, I actually saw Rafiki oh. and the director came and presented it at home. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was a great experience. Like that would never happen here. Like the director was right there. So that 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 was great. I just think it because like in my last my last job I actually run an LGBT film festival and we just struggle for content you know, mm-hmm. in the UK. And that was something that was very apparent. But we, we tended to, to show documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's, when it's such a niche, like I, I kind of worry sometimes that I've put myself in such a niche. Like everybody knows me as the, the filmmaker who makes queer films back at home. So it, it's, I worry sometimes that one, I might not be able to, break out of that as well and it's it's become an expectation like this is what I have to do and sometimes with funding like if I give my reel and I'm trying to get money you know you I worry sometimes like what are the funders what are their personal beliefs what are their biases what what if all I have is LGBT content so far in my portfolio I I do worry about that sometimes but it it really was because I wasn't seeing anything and I knew that, you know, who else was going to tell these stories. Yeah. Yeah. And the first one I made was me processing a lot. And that I, I just started that first part of the trilogy and then continued. But if we're talking about cinema in the region, it's so small. And then queer cinema is even yeah. more. So I don't know in terms of going forward how much content we'll see from from even the region, like LGBT focused content. Well, thank you for talking to me, Melanie. And um I wish you the best with, with the, the Commonwealth writers and, and keep in touch and let me know how, how you get on. I'd like to thank the BFI Film Hubs Midlands for funding this podcast. 